From the offices of Melman, Castagnetti, Rosen, and Thomas, just footsteps from the White House, the heart of the nation's capital. This is 14th NG, the podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. Here's your host, C.R. Wooters. Welcome to 14th and G, podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. On this episode, we get my brand spanking new colleague, Paul Thornell. Uh, Paul's an expert in financial services, uh, will give us an update of what to look for coming from the Hill in that world, and then we're also going to talk a little politics. So here we go, Paul Thornell. Okay, Paul, Paul Thornell, welcome to 14th and G. Thank you. Happy to be here. All right, so you and I were just talking before we went on air, and you, you, you said that the fall and the financial services um, world kind of are a little bit interlinked historically. Let's do that on air. What were you talking about? Yeah, well, it's a kind of fascinating time when you think about the points in history when um, the country went through some sort of economic disruption. Uh, often happen times happens in the fall. The most significant ones, three most, is um, certainly back in 1929, uh, stock market crash, uh, 1987, Black Monday. Um, and then um, just yesterday was the anniversary when Lehman Brothers uh, closed up shop rather um, disruptively and triggered, um, among other things, <coughs> the Great Recession. And uh, these are the points that are at painful for many reasons, but they are a reminder of the linkage between Wall Street and Main Street. Um, and uh, what we see over the last 11 years or so since 2008, the ways in which Washington can and appropriately should step in to correct some of the ways that either things that occurred in industry and, and outside industry um, had a negative impact, either because of shortcomings one way or the other in the regulatory policy um, uh, rubric, or uh, if uh, in anticipation of the next crisis that nobody knows what that will look like, uh, efforts to put in policy reforms to manage against that. And, you know, I think looking back at sort of the years since uh, Lehman Brothers, there's certainly the, depending on where you sit, the, the Goldilocks framework as to whether or not Dodd-Frank and other um, financial reforms uh, were enough to address the problems uh, and manage against that uh, unknown crisis in the future uh, were way too much or were just right. And yeah. uh, I think you could certainly have a uh, pretty active uh, chattering class battle Royale over uh, which of those three categories, or maybe even a fourth one, uh, that uh, is uh, as you assess what happened uh, in the years since um, uh, since Lehman Brothers. So fall. you just scared me because you said the fall is where all this stuff happened. Should I take all my money and like bury it in the backyard shoe or box. something? <laughs> there we go. Shoe That's box. it. That's <laughs> good. Get that shoebox out again, you know, uh, and uh, throw it in there. So I'm you know. terrified now. Yeah. The yeah. Um, so canned goods and ammunition. <laughs> I'll be right behind you. <laughs> okay, now that I'm sufficiently scared. So, so with that as the backdrop, what's happening? Um, you, there's a lot of folks in town. You get a lot of folks saying, you know, Washington isn't doing anything, and uh, nothing's really going to happen. You kind of don't think so, especially like in the financial services world. Um, what's happening? you know, on the Hill? Yeah, well, I think if you look back, so we're, you know, we're right in the middle of September, so we are seven, eight, 
ish months, legislative months into the new Democratic majority in the House. Um, and it's probably realistic about the halfway point that we'll see with respect to the whole Congress if you anticipate that things will roughly shut down next late next September. Um, you know, we will we have a pretty decent um, sample size to see what the level of activity and sure. maybe sort of the comparative framework is Senate to House. And, um, you know, I think it, it, it's a pretty strong case to make that while not much, you know, we're not living in the most prolific legislative era, shocker, um, but there are ways that policymakers can absolutely influence um, industry practices, companies very specifically, and just the ways that the financial sector um, engages with uh, consumers uh, short of passing uh, various um, uh, bills and getting them over the finish line. Uh, and we've seen that in the House. And, um, you know, not surprisingly, the Senate is a uh, slower uh, body to act. Uh, but uh, the degree to which uh, there have been hearings or uh, bills that have been contemplated, uh, and I would see, even though we haven't seen a ton of bipartisanship, there are some green shoots that are out there that, you know, for those keeping score at home, might translate into some uh, policy reforms down the road. And uh, But no, there's no doubt that I think if you have to take a look at House Financial Services Committee, Senate Banking Committee, uh, they have, uh, at least primarily in the House, pretty active set of hearings. And Chairwoman Waters is not messing around. No, that's right. Yeah, and in, in, in the category of things you shouldn't be too surprised about, she's a very strong chair. And yeah. that's both in how she runs her committee. Um, but I think the, the, the frequency of committee action, um, but also, you know, managing a difficult set of issues and putting some new issues um, on the plate that, you know, my guess is uh, a year ago, uh, tech companies were not thinking about their sure. engagement strategy with the House Financial Services Committee. <laughs> right. And uh, you better believe they are right now. And, and why um, is that? Well, you know, we, we've certainly seen that as it relates to Facebook's um, effort to um, move forward in um, the Libra project. Uh, this, is, this is one of the ways that the Financial Services Committee is – um, sort of, uh, I guess, as I say, they're they're hosting an away game mm -hmm. for uh, this leader in the technology sector, and you know, I, I would imagine to my previous point that Facebook had not previously spent a lot of time with yeah. Chair Waters, Ranking Member McHenry, in their former roles in the committee. Uh, however, uh, you make an announcement, you receive an invitation to testify. Yeah, absolutely, going to be conscious of. Uh, the who, what, when, where of this new committee <laughs> that previously yes, exactly. you probably not spend time on. And look, the reality is they may not pass a single piece of legislation related to Facebook, social media companies. I think it, it bears mentioning that Waters created two new task forces, one on sort of fintech, the other um, on artificial intelligence that are certainly um, not formally uh, sort of broadening the yep. committee's jurisdiction, but I would, I would imagine that whether it's, uh, and these were created and put in place before the Facebook announcement, um, that the intersection between social media, privacy, um, finance yep. is much wider than we thought a few years ago, and 
she is a chair that is absolutely going to make sure that to the degree there's a way that she thinks she and her members need to stay ahead of these issues yep. or hear about them and think about what are the knock-on effects in terms of you know whether it could be um, personal security um, uh, uh, anti-discrimination means um, yeah, predatory uh, lending uh, all that pr- stuff. all that you mm-hmm. know and, and certainly in national security issues mm-hmm. uh, she she's gonna sort of you know, figure out, okay, what are the questions we should be asking? And then is there a legislative route, you know, further down the road? Um, and if not, then she's going to keep asking those questions. And you better believe those companies are going to need to be responsive. Well, it's also interesting because in, early on in this in, on this podcast, um, I had talked to a few folks who you know, talked about Bitcoin and uh, uh, various other degrees of kind of fintech. I'm putting them all in a big bucket. I know right. that that's multiple things there. It feels like the regulatory structure that we have, including that of the House and Senate oversight committees, are still trying to figure out how to like how to deal with these new offerings, right? They're used to dealing with apples and oranges, and now it's like a whole different thing that they have to deal with. So, you know, for example, our financial, our fintech companies, are they, should they be treated like credit cards mm-hmm. or banks, or should they be treated like, you know, um, internet companies or some version of both? I, it feels like she struggles with that as well. And I don't mean to stick with her, but the banking committee and the Senate's doing the same thing. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's right. And I think one of these things is there are a lot of people running around Washington appropriately wondering, okay, I work with or for or am partnering with or thinking about partnering with a fintech company. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the policy things we should worry about? And, and you know, look, oftentimes Congress appropriately um, <laughs> gets criticized because they may not often be, you know, drawn with the sharpest pencil. <laughs> and when they, you know, anyone colors outside the lines, um, you can have some at least from a company standpoint, industry standpoint, some franchise-impacting mistakes sure. if you don't get yeah, it yeah. right. Absolutely. But at the same time, I think this is one where you probably don't know all the questions to ask. Mm-hmm. But if it feels like the ground is shifting beneath them, yep. um, policymakers often find that as the prompt to start engaging. Yeah. I mean, you, could, you, could, you, could, you can argue that there are two things that can always – guarantee some sort of action on the part of policymakers you know a deadline uh, a crisis or or, the fi- or 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 the unknown or vacation a- a- or vacation <laughs> that's right that's right um, and uh, and and that's and that's one that's I think you know the fintech stuff is sort of in that yeah. unknown um, and, and so if you have somebody uh, like Facebook who's getting beat up for any number of other things um, and there are others in this category but you you, you, you brought them up um, and then they announced that they'd like to start a currency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can imagine a lot of people saying, like, hold on. We have a handful of questions for you real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's right. That's right. And I think some of these are just going to be in the nature of companies trying to be um, anticipate what the next new thing sure. is. And, and one could argue that by um, kind of just uh, offering ideas and concepts that shouldn't be – uh, that that should that shouldn't by itself stifle any of those innovations. Sure. But at the same time, it's a reminder to say, um, look, if you're contemplating weighing in or moving forward on the business side yep. in an area that you generally are not regarded as um, a uh, steward in that space, financial services in this case, yep. then you got to be mindful that those people, whether they're 
members of Congress, regulators, thought leaders, yep. whoever. Um, uh, and frankly, look, uh, social media has made the world so much smaller that it may be stakeholders, employees, yeah, sure. shareholders who yeah. can get we sufficiently did, did spun up that, a lot. that, that you, you, you need to be ready to mm-hmm. engage proactively or react. And, um, and, 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 you know, that, that shows the, the value of a proactive approach. Sure. And if you get caught, you know, on your heels, leaning back, you know, that's when the C-suite starts getting worried about uh, what is this going to do to our stock price kind sure. of thing. Right. And, uh, and that's not, uh, those are not the terms anyone wants to be, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, introducing themselves <laughs> on, <laughs> right? <laughs> Hello, my name is, yeah. and here's my response yeah, to your exactly, inquiry. Right, exactly, exactly. exactly. All right, so let's back up a little bit. Um, you know, I've known you for a long time, but um, you're new here. You're the new guy. So uh, give us a little bit of your background. Yeah, so I'm here as uh, about six weeks. Um, excited to be part of the team. Uh, That's total I have, crap. Uh, he doesn't. He's not uh, excited. It's, it's, I, had, I had it written down, so just let me keep going. Um, and uh, I spent uh, 12 and a half years uh, at Citigroup uh, in their Washington office um, and uh, had a, um, was a part of a great team there, a great company. time that I joined was January of 07, House and Senate Democrats just taking over their respective chambers. And um, uh, I was uh, excited to join the team there, uh, not really bringing expertise in the finance um, area. Um, and my colleagues at the time joked uh, that as I joined from United Way of America, I ran United Way of America's public policy team and field relations and disaster response team, that um, they joked that I brought my not-for-profit tendencies with me. <laughs> and seeing as city may not have made any money for the first two and a half years I was at Citigroup from United Way of America. That technically was true. <laughs> I did bring some not-for-profit tendencies. But um, it was exciting because uh, certainly, you know, in the year or so plus leading up to the crisis, through the crisis, and then the policy reforms since, um, it was an amazing time to be sure. at a company that um, uh, came out of the crisis uh, well, but certainly is quite aware of the fact that uh, the rest of the country uh, did not necessarily weather it, whether it was um, people who saw their pensions go down or consumers um, or others, uh, and that to the degree that you've always got to be mindful of your employee workforce, sure. your, your customers, um, and, uh, and I think more than anything now, um, the way that the reputation uh, post-crisis is something that you can never... Uh, stitched together on the fly and uh, you've got to always be thinking about whether it's um, various stakeholder groups how can you work to build some goodwill recognizing that uh, there was a whole lot happened um, through the crisis post-crisis that fundamentally changed not just the economy but politics Mm -hmm. uh, various sociological I mean you could argue that um, the, the rise in the Tea Party and the rise of um, the sort of uh, progressive um, uh, side is, is a direct connection to the crisis mm-hmm. and a generation that uh, has not necessarily experienced the same job prospects, sure. um, dealing with student debt, things that um, uh, were, were, were fundamentally uh, 25 years ago 
uh, people coming out of college then a different set of circumstances. Yep. And so um, anyway, so I uh, spent uh, a number of years at City uh, after being at United Way of America, um, uh, both great opportunities. I previously worked in a multi-client firm, uh, Hill & Knowlton Public Affairs. And so I got a sense for sure. uh, how to engage and work um, and kind of, you know, I'm, I'm the, the last three work experiences that I had um, given me just various perspectives off Capitol Hill. Uh, whether it's multi-client space, working in a nonprofit, working in a company. Previous so, to that, I worked uh, in the White House doing uh, Congressional Affairs for Vice President Gore, and then before that in the Senate. And so, um, you know, being uh, on and off Capitol Hill um, and uh, being a Washington native, it's uh, um, it's it's a it's a world I'm fairly familiar with. But there's no doubt that every day um, I wake up to something new uh, as we all do and uh, so and what's the uh, what you know you're in you've been here six weeks of which that six weeks some of it was you know uh, August break which things kind of slow down a little <laughs> bit but what's your what's your take what's different or what's the same about when you're at the company um, what's you know is, is your day radically different are you feeling like you're doing more issues here or doing less issues here or kind of what's a uh... yeah well I guess what I would say is um, to your point August is definitely not a good sample size <laughs> yes, I think exactly. for anything thing in Washington, D.C. Um, but um, w- I, w- what's similar is there are uh, a company like Citigroup has a ton of different policy regulatory issues, obviously th- issues in the financial services space, but things you wouldn't necessarily think about like patent reform or immigration sure. reform. Okay. And um, and those were um, those were elements of my job that that I really made it dynamic there, um, certainly with the range of clients here. That uh, have an opportunity to work with it. It's it's whatever was at City times you know ten or whatever. <laughs> um, and I guess the thing I'm mindful of are the the ways that um, when I worked in house, the different types of ways I found consultants to be helpful to mm-hmm. me then, um, and and different things that I thought consultants from my perspective at my previous employer yep. might do better, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that um, I need to bring that with me here and, sure. and maintain that in the forefront of how I think I can do a good job for our clients um, and the firm, uh, because I'd imagine the, the more distance I get from <laughs> being yes, the exactly. client, yes. I might not necessarily keep those um, impressions of what makes a good consultant yes, exactly. great. Um, and I do need to absolutely be intentional about keeping those yeah. close to mind because, you know, that's uh, we've got a great firm here and, and I, I want to do what I can to help uh, keep the work that's been making it great uh, going in the right direction. All right. So let's talk a little politics. Um, we just uh, for for context last week, there was a, another Democratic debate. Um, let's start in your wheelhouse, which is financial services. What are you hearing from candidates? Um, and we'll focus a little bit more on the Democrats because the president is the president and, and kind of, you know, his, his, his story and his news is, is everyday news. Uh, what are you hearing from folks running for president on the Democratic side uh, in the financial services space other than, like, we love Elizabeth Warren and we really hope she's going to be president? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know, I do think it is kind of – one observation is the Democratic primary presidential race, it's sort of happening in its own ecosystem. Yeah. And Congress is is in a separate space. And uh, put banking and financial services issues aside, I thought it was notable that except for, let's say, 
some parts of the gun debate mm-hmm. and maybe healthcare generally speaking and i mean we're talking bumper sticker terms here, yeah sure there really is not that much inner uh interplay between mm-hmm. those on the campaign trail in iowa new hampshire sure. south carolina wherever and congressional democrats in washington and and I, i'm not suggesting there should be coordination but i think it just bears mentioning that there's there are some headline statements here and there but mm-hmm. There really is not much of, uh, if you have to look to see what, what's going on on the Hill, you don't really necessarily see um, the same set of policy issues sure. that are being talked about. Yeah. It's more broad strokes on the campaign trail. Um, I guess it, it is pr- probably notable that for some of the candidates who in some cases have made their names um, as um, you know, engaging on banking financial services sure. issues, Warren in particular, Bernie Sanders, um, really, it, it, I mean, the issues that just haven't even come up, yeah. right? I mean, I think um, that it's a little bit. Of, you, I think you, uh, I think you, uh, you bat to the pitch that's thrown at you a little yeah, bit, right? I, I mean, I, it doesn't feel as hot right now. To I, th- I think that's right, and um, but I think it does. You know, I think those in the banking sector are always conscious of the fact that, uh, like o- like most industries, you know, you're one headline away from being totally, you know, chief antagonist, <laughs> uh, f- and and you know, and I think there's probably an expectation that that may happen at some point down yep. the road. But, um, you know, I think you, you certainly hear, you know, whether it's insurance companies or pharmaceutical companies, you've not, you've not heard that much about big oil, right. let's say. You've not heard much about Wall Street. Um, you've heard a little bit about tech here and there writ large, yep. but probably more noise, frankly, on Capitol Hill than on the campaign trail. Anyway, yeah, I guess from from the banking financial services space, there really has not been much there. Mm-hmm. There, um, and do you think more talk of um, you know I'm not, I'm not an analyst, I don't know what's happening, but there seems to be a more talk that there's potential recession coming, that the economy that's been hu- that's been humming around may take a deep breath for a minute, whatever that means. Do you think that changes the focus a little bit more? Because the reason I ask is so this mm-hmm. is you know people who are smarter than I am say that like you know if the economy takes a turn that's good or bad for the president that's good or bad for these folks and what do you think if we've got China out there we've got a new NAFTA deal that's uh, that's that's kind of in the wings um, national economic certainty you know do you think that's going to start to come up? Yeah, well, I think what's two points on this. One, I think there is probably either a stated recognition or something very below the surface that says, even if the economy turns bad, I think these Democrats running for president recognize that that by itself may not necessarily turn Trump voters against him. Right. Right. Yep. And so mm-hmm. so what, whatever the economy looks like a year from now, Trump can still be Trump and, and you know, he's going to have his stalwart supporters. Sure. And if polls indicate 90% of Republican voters are with him, yep. I, I think there is even there is unique to him an even greater stickiness that mm. can um, withstand anything going on in the economy. Yeah. And I think that, I don't know that any of the, Demo- the folks running for president on the Democratic side would say that, but I think they, they, they probably believe that. Um, and so is there benefit to playing up the likelihood of a recession or, and how to, what do they do with that? I think they probably don't know. The second point is that on a lot of these um, areas where 
the chaotic motion around the president, especially on the trade side and tariffs in China, I, I, th I think there's a recognition on a Democratic side that Trump is speaking to some of their voters and the language that he's using and the different levers he's trying to pull may not necessarily be uh, contrary to the interests of the voters that some of these Democrats are going after right. as they see it in a very, you know, broad brush way. So if there are, you know, union members in Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania um, who uh, Trump is going to look to maintain as part of his sure. coalition, when Trump goes out and talks about uh, China and currency manipulation and how bad, you know, NAFTA was, uh, you know, the crowds go crazy, and mm. some of those are, you know, two-time Obama voters. Sure. And, sure. and I think this crowd of Democrats running for president, just, they don't exactly know what to deal with that dynamic. Yep. Uh, and I, I don't either. I don't know. But, but that's certainly a political reality of 2019, 2020. Trade sort of tariff space is the area where it is most complicated, I think, for yeah. Democrats to figure out what that means. Because some of them, whether you look at you know, what Chuck Schumer says about China or what Chair Brown says about currency manipulator yeah, forever. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. some of this like you, you read a series of quotes from um, from Schumer on China, from Sherrod Brown on trade and from Donald Trump on either of the two. You'd be hard pressed to yeah. identify who was who. Yeah. How important is calmness and security and kind of like the longer term planning ability for business um, as as we get towards this next election? Yeah, I think it's a good question, and I think that has probably been forever changed over the last three, four years. So, uh, and and it's and it's not just Trump. I, I think if you look at the need for CEOs to be prepared to react on very short notice as a result of a tweet from Trump. Sure. Okay, so that that is never something any CEO has had to figure out or deal yeah. with since this president. I'm not going to suggest that is not going to continue, but I think that is that is just now recognized as, okay, this is baked in the cake. This is something we got to figure out. Yep. But it's also um, looking at what does it mean for when there's a mass shooting somewhere? Yeah. How do leader, how do business leaders react yeah. to that as it relates to their employees and workforce? Yep. Whatever product they're selling, client who they may finance, whatever sure. product that client is selling, and there's I think been an ongoing and, and it's not settled, but there has been I'd say let's you know over the last two years an ongoing reassessment of how and when do CEOs business leaders engage on these things. You saw the business roundtable recently uh, put forward a, a change in a, in a fairly standing policy. Uh, approach they had, which said that um, business leaders no longer just focus on shareholder interests, yeah. but the interests of stakeholders uh, more broadly. And that's a that's a pretty profound shift, and, and it got pretty significant coverage. And so I think to the degree that certainty is aspirational sure. and business leaders would like to have it, mm -hmm. um, that is certainly the case. Now, I, I I'd like to be five foot ten and a full head of hair, and um, <laughs> that ain't gonna happen either. But but I think that has just changed, f been changed forever. Yeah. So that if it's tax rates and certain regulatory requirements, yeah, sure. I think those will always be yep. things that will be valued 
um, certainty around those things will be valued. But I, I just think, frankly, in the last few years, um, we've seen uh, changes in the way, accelerated changes in the way that companies communicate with their shareholders, employees, customers, and uh, have to deal with um, various dynamics in the ecosystem that make it so that certainty just, you know, is going yeah. to be elusive. Sure. And their need to be responsive to a host of different um, it's the indicators on, stuff, right? yeah, right. Yeah. And so whatever, whatever the dashboard looked like 10 years ago yeah. for fill in the blank CEO, it's like, you know, if we can look at these five different things, yeah. that tells me, I'm okay, doing a good this, job. this is, right. okay, yeah, this is going to be a good day, this is going to yeah. be a bad day. <laughs> I just think, yeah, you probably still have that dashboard, but you also have a whole other grid of things that probably yeah. looks more like, you know, what an airline pilot's dashboard looks like. <laughs> what we're seeing in terms of cannabis banking legislation sure. moving through sure. the House and Senate, it's likely next week that the House will vote on, full House will vote on uh, cannabis banking bill that came out of the Financial Services yeah. Committee uh, with bipartisan support. It's very unclear if... Um, if this is something that will get over the goal line, but certainly the Republican chair of the Senate Banking Committee last week, uh, Mike Crapo, said that he would uh, be open to putting a vote uh, mm -hmm. before the committee on this. And I think this is th this is one of those legislative vehicles that it's being its consideration is Washington in Washington is being accelerated um, in this case because of the the moving ground out in the states. Yeah and the need to be responsive to that in some way. And there are some very critical business imperatives, whether it's for banks who, you know, bank um, pot merchants that need to do something yep. with the money, or, or there are also trading considerations um, yep. for, for financial services firms in Wall Street. Uh, and you could see something move in an accelerated way, um, in part because of the recognition that, you know, in some cases, you know, businesses that were um, probably not necessarily thinking about this yep. as part of their work plan, um, but you've certainly seen like the American Bankers Association taking a leadership role in trying to get this done, um, and you're seeing some uh, some other voices um, that are engaging on sure. it. Um, and and you know, you, and you'll continue to see that. And similarly, another issue that I think you uh, when um, the administration proposed. Uh, changing the census to include a question related to the citizenship of the respondents. Um, there were a host of businesses that uh, use census data and what census data tells us, which is the number of people who live here today, mm -hmm. residents or uh, legal uh, immigrants or not legal immigrants, and, and these businesses rely on census data. And sure. you saw a pretty major campaign, not just from folks in the civil rights sector, but from corporate America saying, no, yeah. we, we this is this is this is not the best way to get an accurate count, mm -hmm. and uh, and so it, it you know I think there are, are different reminders of that maybe on a more micro level. And, you know, as twenty twenty grows closer, there's going to be more of a stake in terms of being being appropriately responsive, keeping an eye out for these because fundamentally uh, the reputation of these companies and and um, and you know is is what a lot of business leaders are going to need to be yeah. looking out for and. That is, that's never uh, a static uh, sure. set, of, um, uh, uh, set of dynamics. All right, so we'll wrap up with this. Um, if you weren't doing this job, and I'll broaden it out to like government affairs in general, wh what would you do? 
What would I do? This is the surprise question. Sure, the surprise question. Okay, I would uh, I would be writing a book on my family history. Oh, really? I've done a significant amount of research and um, was lucky that my grandmother, when I was a little boy, told me a lot of stories about her grandfather, who was a really accomplished African-American lawyer, abolitionist, uh, college professor, poet, um, and wow. uh, I would uh, I would be writing. Actually, check that. I'm not a writer. I'm not a historian. I would find somebody to, to be write the this writer. book, yeah. to be the writer, be the historian, uh, and tell this story. Um, and uh, because it, it it's a it's a fascinating story, I think, from where I sit. Um, and I think it uh, at some point it will be uh, appropriately told. But um, I'd say yeah, that's probably what I would be doing uh, at this at this point if. Um, uh, we're not talking with you, <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, which, I, which I'm always happy to do. Well, Paul Thornell, my new colleague, my buddy, uh, thanks for coming on 14th and G. Thanks for having me. It's always nice to have Paul on the podcast. Hopefully we can get him on here more than once. If you're looking for me, my email address is wooters at mc-dc.com. And until next time, I'll be right here at 14th and G.